0: Hi, guys. Welcome to Pancreas Pals. Emily here. Miriam is still not back, but she'll be back next week, so no one freak out. This week, we have an extremely special guest who I am obsessed with following on Instagram, and he's just an all-around dope person. Cameron from at young underscore gifted in black on Instagram, who is an advocate, a wannabe chef, even though I would probably classify him as one just based on his amazing food Instagram posts, and member of at the diet crew. Welcome, Cameron.
1: Thank you so much for having me on today, Emily.
0: I I am just like floored by your food prowess, but we'll get into... Oh, that did not sound fun on my mic. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, Cameron had done a takeover for us way back when on Pancreas Pals. And I have to say, your takeover was one of my faves. And that's not really something I say. I never really mentioned when people have done takeovers for us. So um, gold star to you. But mostly, I was just... Hysterically laughing when you got up from your desk and were like, okay, I have a really long uh, commute to work. And then you moved to the, like your next room because obviously, quarantines. I still chuckle at that. I think that obviously, like, that's something that we're all going through. But the the way that you delivered that had me in stitches. I was hysterical. So I'd like to thank you for bringing me joy during this time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad I can bring you a little joy during these times.
0: (laughs) Me too. And this was like a while back. So that's anyone who's like, wait, I don't remember this. Uh, We have a highlight of Cameron's takeover on our page at pancreas underscore palace on Instagram. Um, I definitely recommend you go check it out. But Anyways, that's my long-winded intro to Cameron. So welcome, Cameron. Thank you for being on.
1: Awesome. Thank you again. I'm I'm glad I can be on the show today and um, looking forward to the good conversation we'll have.
0: Love a good chat. Um, but to kick us off, anyone who's listened to the PALS before knows that we love to dive right into the diabetes aspect of everything. So could you please share your diagnosis story?
1: Yes. Uh, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was Nine years old. So I've been living with uh, type 1 diabetes for 22 years at this point. And my diagnosis story is uh, one not untypical for kids. My parents noticed that I was uh, having frequent urination, dry mouth, and uh, rushed me to the uh, doctor's office to try to see what was going on. And uh, they, of course, thought that I had type 1 diabetes, and we went straight to the emergency room. I think. my parents like to remind me of how I playfully passed out when they told me that I couldn't have candy anymore. I didn't tell a nine-year-old that they can't have sweets. Like.
0: That's tragic on so many levels, but the playful pass out, really, I think that's just like a nod. I, full disclosure, I've never met Cameron in person, obviously, um, but I feel like that's just a nod to your uh, to your personality on the whole. That's iconic.
1: Exactly. I I just, I could not process that. And it wasn't even that I ate a lot of candy as a kid. My parents will tell you, I rarely ate candy as a child, but hearing that you couldn't just.
0: Right. You're mourning all those Halloweens. But um, also, I mean, obviously, anyone who's listening who is any form of diabetic um, can attest to this, but I do just want to point out for all those non-diabetic listeners that food does not cause any form of diabetes. Um, so of course, Cameron can have whatever he'd like to eat, but um, obviously, especially back then, and just to maintain good sugars, as we like to say, candy is not always an easy thing to, to bolus for, to cover with insulin. So no one freak out in, uh, at Cameron for saying that he couldn't have candy because he's just living his best life. Anyways, moving on, (laughs) back to your story.
1: Exactly. And I think it was just the times, right? Because back Mm -hmm. then, insulin pumps were still not widely used as they are today. There was no CGM back then. It was basically you check your blood sugar and you use an injection uh, to give yourself an insulin. And if you were fortunate enough to have an insulin pen, um, then you were sort of ahead of the game because those were just starting to get rolled out. And I think... In my diagnosis story, we my parents were adamant about learning how to care for me before we left the hospital. So we probably stayed maybe a week, a week and a half before my mother was willing to let them discharge us to um, until she felt comfortable enough giving me uh, an, an injection. And so I was out of school for, for a little while. My friends sent me notes and things, and um, uh, some of them came to visit pastors and friends and family. Uh, all came to check in on me just to see how I was doing. Uh, And then we were out and we got my first uh, diabetic endocrinologist who was also a diabetic, a type 1 diabetic. Uh, And we recognized fairly quickly, or they recognized fairly quickly that there were some disparities in how I and other patients of color were being treated by this particular endocrinologist and the way that uh, her uh, white patients were being treated. Um, we noticed that almost all of the white patients were utilizing technology like insulin pins. Uh, Many of them were using insulin pumps, but none of the patients of color in this particular practice were using those same technologies. Uh, So either they didn't know about them or they weren't asking about them, but we decided to ask. And when we were denied access, we started to wonder why. And And that sort of led to my parents talking to the other parents in the waiting room, because this was before Uh, There was really a a robust online chat system like we have now. We've got tons of Facebook groups. We've got the IG community, the Twitter community. We've even got a Clubhouse community now. Um, But those things were non-existent back then. And so my parents were really uh, adamant about advocating for me and what we needed to manage my diabetes, especially as someone who, even when I was in the best of shape, uh, suffered from insulin resistance to some degree. And so uh, they wanted to make sure that we had what we need. So we ultimately ended up changing um, endocrinologist to another endocrinologist in the same uh, health system. But uh, he was a person of color uh, and he immediately approved me for an insulin pump. He immediately put me in contact with a dietician, with a uh, nutritionist, with a certified diabetes educator, who all mentioned things that we had no knowledge about. We didn't know that diabetes camps were a thing that, were, <laughs> that was even possible until we got partnered with this endocrinologist and his and his care team that he put us in touch with. And so from there, I got to go to diabetes camps um, with my family, and we enjoyed it a lot. I think one of the best things about being a kid was... When, when you, We would have group blood sugar check and group snack time, <laughs> where all of us would go to the main lobby area. All of our parents would pull out all of our insulin and all of our um, glucose meters, and we'd all check at the same time, um, destigmatizing that, um, which was huge as for me as a kid. Um, but yeah, and so that's really my start to diabetes and, and the lens that I've viewed everything through is that diagnosis story and then going up through uh, my first endocrinologist and quickly having to get a second one within a year.
0: That is, I mean, for lack of a better word, and I feel like this is just the constant, but that's just heartbreaking. I mean, that, that happened, but also that it is still happening and that you had to even go through that your parents as well. I mean, just being a kid, During all of this and looking up to your parents and I, I mean, your parents obviously seem like amazing humans who care for you wholly and fully. And that's just, I think for lack of a better way to put this in perspective, I obviously am a very privileged white lady and my diagnosis, although did not come for a year, um, because of its own issues. But my first, when they properly diagnosed me, I was sitting there and they were like, do you want to get on an insulin pump? And the fact that that was literally the first thing they asked me and the fact that you had to fight for that and to fight for the knowledge for that is just disgusting. And I am sorry you had to go through that, but I'm sure that's like something you hear all the time now and that doesn't mean much coming from me, but I appreciate you sharing that story with us.
1: Yeah, it was definitely something interesting uh, that we, that they offered to you right off the bat. Um, that I wish mm-hmm. we would have gotten the same um, introduction, but I I, and I see too that now insulin pumps are more common um, than they were back then, but they were still a, a tool that could have been used. And we were just, we were not given access to even
0: a insulin pen.
1: pens, yeah. <laughs> like, which is low tech, but for someone who uh, it makes a big was difference definitely afraid of needles back then that would have been right. a huge change
0: syringes are scary i'll be the first <laughs> yeah. person to say that i mean also i guess that's true the perspective in time um but also i was di- i mean i'm assuming you were diagnosed in texas
1: no i was diagnosed. i'm from birmingham alabama i was diagnosed in alabama okay
0: my bad <laughs> so from <laughs> alabama um yeah. and i was from in slash, and slash am still from Jacksonville, Florida. And um, although our diagnosis, our diagnoses were like probably 20 years apart. Um, I'm not good at math, but I was just diagnosed seven years ago. So Definitely, there are different perspectives, but I do fully believe that race plays a card in all of this, and that is yeah. just an awful thing. But I'm glad that you were able to find an endocrinologist that listened to you and provided proper information and was a person of color, and just that's just a great um, resource. But also the fact that you're now able to have a community um, and Such an advocate that you are is amazing. So, have you heard any similar stories these days? Um, I like feel like I'm. That's probably an awful question to ask. I'm trying to figure out how to word my questions and help. But um, obviously, medical racism is still prevalent today. And I know you're a big advocate and share really powerful resources. Everyone, go check Cameron out at Young Underscore Gifted and Black on Instagram. But have you found that people are continuing to reach out to you with similar stories?
1: Yes, I've connected over the last year with, uh, particularly over the last year, with a, a lot of diabetics who have similar stories to mine or stories that um, have parallels to mine. And I, I think it's not uncommon to see, um, unfortunately, the disparities in, in health care and access to the tools that we all need. Um, to survive, even just access to basic things like an insulin pump. I was in a webinar for a a nonprofit. Um, Maybe I wasn't participating. I was just um, viewing the webinar Um, maybe about four or five months ago. And there was a a Black lady who, probably a little older than I, a little older than you and I, um, who was diagnosed around the same age I was, Um, Grew up in a small town where uh, there was really only one or or two doctors in the entire town and had no idea that insulin pumps even existed, right? Right. Um, So I think we forget about that too. And and the part of me that does advocacy, that's one of the things that I like to bring a lot of light to is that um, we are all diabetics, but we're not all fighting the same fight. Some of us are, are growing up in rural areas where the nearest endocrinologist may be An hour or two hours away, and we have no knowledge of different types of insulin, different types of uh, insulin therapies, uh, CGMs. Um, We don't have access to those things, and I think we often get lost because, while I am a part of the diabetes online community, the diabetes online community is—we all have privilege (laughs) to some degree, (laughs) right? We're 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 privileged group. Um, I acknowledge my own privilege. We see others that look like us. Almost what? 85% of the di- diabetes online community uses some form of a CGM, right? I'm just not right, right. that number. I don't know that to be true, but I would assume the majority of us use a CGM or um, some type of advanced tech uh, to manage our diabetes. And um, as a part, of, as being an advocate, we have to draw light to the fact that that's not the case. Uh, Is not the case here in the U.S., and it's definitely not the case globally uh, in the work that I get to do um, with one of the nonprofits that I partner with. Um, and we need to be aware of that. We need to acknowledge that and, and really come to, to terms with it. A
0: thousand percent. And. I mean, just anyone who's listening that has any questions about that, think of how you're listening to this podcast right now. You have access to the Internet. You have access to a device that can connect you with other people, even if it's just the iTunes Apple podcast app. I mean, that. Knowledge is power, right? And if we have access to the internet, access to these doctors, then that in itself is a leg up that a lot of people don't have. And I think that that's a big issue we definitely have in the diabetes online community. And I've noticed, um, at least for my own personal mental health, I've definitely had to take a step back this past year because there has been a lot of, um, I don't uh, ignorance, for lack of a better word, Um, whether it obviously ignorance means that's not necessarily always intended but some intended ignorance if you will as well there's been a lot of polarizing issues that um i think there is no there there's only a wrong side <laughs> to be on and um i just really applaud you cameron for for all of your work on this and we're trying so hard to be allies and continue to show the disparities. So yeah. um, I'm I think just... what
1: you just mentioned, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, please do. I think what you just mentioned is perhaps the most common thing that I've heard in the past few months. Um, I was just in a Clubhouse chat um, last week where we were talking about, um, has anyone taken a break from IG or from the diabetes online community? And nearly everyone in the room said they've had to over the last few months, um, just because a lot of us have been a little disillusioned um, by what's going on there. And it can be a lot to take in. Um, and we in the diet crew, you mentioned my involvement with them. And um, we, we hear that a lot from a lot of new diabetics um, who are really looking for good resources, um, but find uh, different types of uh, you need to be healthy and fit and meet this sort of aesthetic um, that doesn't always fit who they are and, and why they are. Um, and it becomes, I, th- I think it, it exacerbates burnout, yes. <laughs> in of a, some form of burnout. Um, and careful with that too. Uh,
0: Miriam and I have actually had, whole so Miriam's a licensed mental health counselor, which is always why I'm sad when she's not here, even if it's just for my free 20-minute session with her of me ranting on these <laughs> podcasts. Um, it's definitely a topic that we cover a lot. On, which is burnout. And we've had a whole episode on burnout and social media in this past year, especially for me. I just can't keep looking at all these perfect graphs um, of other people's numbers, myself included. I'm like, I'll occasionally post a good one because I'm like really excited about it. But I will be honest and that my A1c has gone up this past year because it's a stressful time for everyone. But when I talk about um, needing to take a step back from the diabetes online community, I'm fully just saying my personal experience is that I have found a lot of um, ignorance this past year. And you can't always you can't argue with that um, to an extent. So I'm definitely still online and seeing things and posting things, but I only want to be a part of the progress. Um, and there's just a lot of a lot of uh, fighting back and forth. I'm I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sure I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this, but I'm talking specifically about insulin for all. There's been some um, some things going on that some people are just commenting very rude things to other people. And I'm a, obviously a big proponent for insulin for all. Uh, but there's just a lot to take in during a pandemic. And there's only so much a person can do when they're also have to be on social media for my full-time job, my day job, and then also have the podcast. So anyone listening that's like, going to give me some hate for that. We're all living our own lives and everyone can uh can lead their life as they see fit with their social media and their diabetes and I will do the same with mine. Um hair flip. But <laughs> back to Cameron, I do want to touch a little bit on your love for cooking and you say want to be chef. My mom is a chef and let me tell you that your food looks like you have some form of amazing training. So I'm just going to go ahead and call you a chef because I think you deserve it. And I just want you to have like, I want to eat half the things you post or actually all the things you post, if I'm being honest. But can we get into that a little bit?
1: Yes, definitely.
0: So how did you start off with this love for cooking?
1: I think I got into cooking at a really young age. I was fortunate enough for both my parents to really teach me how to um, how to cook or how to do basic things. I, I have no classical training. Or, and <laughs> just throwing that out there. I've never been to. Cameron's like, Emily,
0: you're going to get me in trouble. Stop. <laughs> I'm like, I just love everything you post. <laughs> All of your food looks so good.
1: Yeah. Um, and really, my dad, um, I, I think my dad may have taught me first how to make an omelet. That was one of the first things I ever learned how to cook, is, uh, and, and, a classic omelet, a classic country style omelet. Um, and that sort of parlayed into my mom teaching me how to cook. And then when I got a little older, um, my mom went back to school. My dad was working a longer hours, So I was uh, cooking a, a lot of the meals for uh, me and my sister uh, and my, my parents at the time. And so I doing a lot of uh, cooking and experimenting on my sister. To be honest with you, <laughs> that's um,
0: what siblings are for.
1: <laughs> exactly, doing everything from grilled catfish to uh, other things and just testing it out. And it sort of parlayed into just becoming a side passion of mine and something that I, I really love to do is to prepare and bake uh, a good meals. And uh, later in life, I think when I was in college, I got to take a food science prep course, which really sparked my interest in um how foods combine and the best way to cook different things and uh how to utilize the other elements of cooking like steam to um enhance or speed up your cooking time and things like that and so um that sort of gave me a, a little bit of the the technique that i use now it wasn't a full-on cooking class or anything like that it was a an, a college elective but um i learned a lot from that course too um I'm thankful I had that opportunity. Uh...
0: That sounds so cool. I do want to give you, um, I follow this woman on Instagram who is a chemist, I think. Um, You should definitely give her a follow. She is a Lebanese like home chef, but her full job is actually like some kind of scientist. Her handle is at Alpha Foodie, A L P H A Foodie. And she, talks about the chemical compounds of foods and why certain things taste good together in different forms of um, like different ways to cook things that you wouldn't think of like steam. And it sounds very similar to your course, honestly. Give her a follow or give her a look. Her stuff is amazing. And she explains the chemical process and everything. And like for anyone else who loves to learn intricacies of things like I especially I feel like with diabetes, we all have a special relationship with food, whether that's something we're you know, struggling with or stressed about or just are interested in wh- whatever your relationship is, it's your relationship, no judgment, but um, I definitely recommend giving Alpha foodie a follow. That's what out. That, that's just me being like, hey, I love science. Um, but yeah, so your love for food obviously translates into a lot of your Instagram feed, which kind of makes me want to uh, slowly but surely, question you on how, how do you manage all of this, uh, the cooking with your blood sugars? I feel like it takes a lot of patience that I don't have. And it's something that I look for. So please teach me.
1: When you say patience with my blood sugars, do you mean blood sugars while cooking or the carb counts and things?
0: True. True. I meant carb counts because I love cooking and I do. um, Obviously, I don't let diabetes stop me from experimenting and trying new things and, you know, guessing because let's be honest. (laughs) <laughs> Half of diabetes is guessing carb counts. I don't care if you've taken a million courses in it. Look me in the eye and tell me I'm wrong. I dare you. <laughs> but I don't know why I'm coming out so savage today. Apologies, everyone. But um, yeah, like in terms of carb counts and how you manage that.
1: Yeah, um, I use a a really good um, food counting scale that allows me to be able to see how many carbs are in uh, different things that I'm cooking. But also I I try my best to, um, something I picked up and I think it was either on YouTube or on um, Food Network or something like that, but to try my best to calculate all of my ingredients in grams, uh, especially when I'm baking. That makes a huge difference in trying to figure out how many carbs are in a slice of cake that I'm having, um, if I know how many grams of flour I use, if I know how many grams of sugar I use, um, and things like that. Um, it it helps a lot to be able to measure out in that way. Uh, As far as uh, most food, most of things like potatoes and things like that, there's so many other factors that go into it that it does become sort of a guessing game. Because uh, if we know anything about the glycemic indexes, uh, when we prepare foods differently, it also changes the release factor of the the carbohydrates and of the, um, the complex sugars. And so it does become like a guessing game because you could fry potatoes and get one reaction, and bake them and get a completely different reaction. And so, um, right, I try my right, best. Have, to like, just... the same
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. I cut you off. <laughs> no. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say you. It could be like the same ingredients, like they both use oil and they both both use potatoes, but then your body breaks them down differently based on how they were processed. Exactly. That's so interesting. Um, Yeah. So, okay. You heard it here first folks slash maybe you've already heard it, but this is new to me. Digital scale all the way. I'm going to, I need to, I need to invest in one of those. You'd think after seven years of diabetes, I'd like have already had that, uh, that, tool in my toolbox if you will i sound like my doctor (laughs) i mean i've only had
1: mine for like three three or four years (laughs) okay
0: good good i'm not i'm not alone in this um definitely a hanukkah present or a present for myself worth buying for sure but just another nod to to the privilege in um having access to these things and i think that that's i could do a whole i'm sure you we could all do a whole episode on the disparities and how this affects our blood sugars. But to keep things on track, I won't dip back um moving forward. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about creating your Instagram account and um the culmination of diabetes, food, and advocacy that you now have on this account?
1: Yes. I think well, I, I always had the same I've always had the same Instagram account. Um and I started it probably four or five years ago. Um, but it was a private account at first that was really only for, uh, friends and family. And my partner's friends, um, were looking at the account and they kept mentioning that I should start a, um, a blog account or life, turn it into a lifestyle blog. Um, and I had been sort of hesitant about it because I also manage social media or social media managers in my um, work, in my real life, my work life.
0: And so I, I, I don't,
1: I wasn't engaged in like social media as like something that I do all the time because I do it professionally as well. Um, right. Or at least partly professionally. And so uh, I was hesitant about it. And one day I, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And I, Slipped over the switch to make it a public profile, decided to, uh, because most of the content was already covering what they told me I should uh, be posting about anyway, so why not just make that public? Uh, and from there, it sort of sparked, and probably about a year or two ago, uh, as I was was starting uh, making my profile public, boosting the amount of content that I was putting out, um, that's how I fell into the Diabetes Online community on IG. Um really coming across a lot of uh, other diabetics, but I also fell into the food blog uh, community on Instagram too, and the the Black Food Blog Network too. And so um, really that's how I just made the decision. It was based solely on what my friends were telling us that I needed to do. I needed to make that something where people could see uh, the types of recipes that you could create with just simple ingredients. Um, Nothing that I create or cook as wild, wildly unattainable ingredients. If you have a local grocery store, you can probably get most of the stuff that I cook with. Especially considering that most of it is some form of pasta, or grain, or rice. <laughs>
0: I, I was about to say your raviolis that you just made. Um, I have I literally like ha- have gone back and looked at it like three times. I feel like that sounds so creepy, but. I love pasta, but I am guilty of being afraid of it um, in terms of diabetes. And that's obviously my own issues that I'm working through. Uh, But it's a a big uh, big case for me to try and – I mean, that's probably why I'm, like, obsessively looking at your account all the time because of all the pasta. But (laughs) also because it looks delicious. um, And ravioli is my weakness. And it's definitely something I miss and is worth trial and error to find what works. But – um I love that a lot of your sauces are creamy and I think that that's a really good fat aspect in terms of carbohydrate absorption. Um to get into the the sciency aspect of this. I think a lot of the the stuff that you post is people always are like, "Oh, diabetes friendly foods." And it's like everything's diabetes friendly if you just, you know, work on it and have um or I guess Maybe not everything. That's like a blanket statement. And it depends on different types, but on the whole, um, the breakdown, the way your body breaks down food. Cameron's account, Mortal Love, looks super good and he has a great, a great rule of thumb in terms of how he uh how he pairs foods. But your ramen with chicken teriyaki is like, I can't, how was that? Can you just like describe the taste for everyone who hasn't been able to make it? (laughs) I'm like over here living vicariously through you.
1: It was so delicious. It was the perfect amount of umami flavor with the perfect amount of um, sweetness and um, sort of creaminess of the sauce. I I loved it. And chicken teriyaki is one of those things that, or teriyaki, I've, Just sharing with a friend how to make uh, a similar version of it with tofu uh, that she put in her air fryer. It's so easy to make, and I think people get um, intimidated by it. But it's you can really literally make chicken teriyaki with like three ingredients, right? Right. right. Soy sauce, brown sugar, and your whatever your um, meat or meat substitute is. You can quickly whip up uh, a chicken teriyaki and or teriyaki, and if you want to throw in some garlic or some onions for a little bit of flavor that much more and so that recipe was so easy it was um literally i i didn't even make the ramen from scratch this time like i normally do I Well, that's, like a whole other,
0: <laughs> that's a whole other like entire podcast that i feel like we could do i'm like um for those who don't know i'm a digital editor for martha stewart so a lot of what i do is food food writing food editing. Um. I'm not coming up with recipes, so that's like a – I'm always in awe of people coming up with the recipes, but I help edit and optimize them and things like that. But that – I mean, I'm sure being a foodie and my mom being a chef is a huge reason why I'm drawn to your account. But the fact that you make ramen, like you've made that on your own, and like I feel like you should have my job and I shouldn't. Like I've never even attempted half of this stuff. I love it.
1: Yeah, it's it's fairly simple to make, but uh, that one I just got from, I went to the Asian food market and got uh, an instant ramen brand uh, that I like, and um, I had a little bit of veggie stock on hand and paired it with that and um, to get the sort of cream, it wasn't veggie stock, it was um, a veggie broth that's a little bit more creamy, has a higher protein um, in it, and so it gave it a little bit more creamy aspect, and it was so good.
0: Guys, go check it out. It's on his Instagram. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up, but I feel like I could talk to you forever. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. This is the part of the show where I just profusely thank people for giving me their time. Um, And so, if you slash you have to go follow Cameron on Instagram. Follow him at Young Underscore Gifted in Black. Um, He has a Twitter too, but. There's I I can only spell out so many things for everyone Um, and uh, give us a follow if you don't already at pancreas underscore pals and on Facebook at pancreas pals PP slide into our DMS on both either we love to hear from you guys I'm sure Cameron would love to hear from you too. Um, And you can email us at pancreaspals123 at gmail.com. We love to hear what you guys want to hear. So definitely slide into all of those things for us. Cameron, I can't thank you enough. You are just such a fun guy. And again, go check out his highlight on our Instagram. It's called Cameron's Take. And it just gives me a good chuckle. I I seriously like I I feel like this was this was definitely months ago here let me click on it let me see how long ago this was because it's something I still think about yeah it was 23 weeks ago (laughs) I still think about you being like oh just your delivery of that who just had me like lolling so hard um so again thank you so much Cameron I really appreciate it and I hope all the pals definitely go give you a follow and look at all of your amazing creations
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on today, Emily. I really enjoyed this conversation.
0: Me too. So guys, maybe we'll have slash I'll beg Cameron to come back on when Miriam's here and we can have a whole other conversation more in depth about everything we already just like lightly touched on. Um, we do try to keep our episodes what used to be commute length um, and now is just short and sweet because I don't know about anyone else, but I don't have the attention span anymore during quarantine times. Mm -hmm. So for more in-depth, we'll follow up with Cameron at a later date. But everyone have a great week. Thanks for the millionth time, Cameron. And I will continue profusely thanking you off air. Um, Everyone have a great week and thanks so much for listening.